0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. It is so good to have you here in God's house. Uh, So thankful. I've got a couple of things that I want to say before we read the text and and get into the Word. Number one, today is Incarnation, which is one of our church plants, formerly the North Side. Today is their grand opening in their new space, so pray for them. Uh, They're probably wrapping up church right now. It's a huge day in the life of that church. John and Jana Ziegler have just done an amazing job, and they have found a a space in Shambly and uh, built it out and raised money for it, and today they're worshiping in there officially for, for the first time. And we just are so thankful for what God has done and what he is going to continue to do at Incarnation. I'm so thankful. And then also one week uh, for today at 4.30 p.m. in the evening, uh, we're going to have a three-week class on the Psalms of Lament. And so we hope that as you uh, push into this Lenten season that you'll join us for that time. I think it's going to be a really important time for three weeks. We'll be gathering at 4.30. More information on our website and in the flyer. If you have your Bible, please turn to uh, John 3.00. We're going to read a, a very famous passage of Scripture, and the challenge with really famous uh, texts like the one that we're going to read is that we think we know it. Uh, we, we, you know, John 3, is the one that people hold up at sporting events, and uh, you know, it's like the, probably the most famous verse, at least for evangelicals in the Bible. Uh, so we're going to read that, and, and my hope today is that you're going to hear with some fresh perspective what's happening between Nicodemus and Jesus, and, and my hope is that you will find yourself identifying with Nicodemus. Um, I will tell you, and some of my own sharing will come out during this sermon over the last year, this text has been, um, has been revolutionized for me. Uh, I, I see this in my own life in a way that I feel uh, more deeply than I have at times past. And so I'm thankful to be, to be reading these verses and praying and sharing with you today. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus Nicodemus is, is literally saying, Can it's impossible to develop a new character late in life. He, he, that's his struggle. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows. Where it wills, where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for Nicodemus, for Jesus, and we pray, Lord, that as we do our best to hold these words, God, that you would give us grace, that you would give us access to see and hear and to find our story in this conversation, I pray that you would meet us, Lord. Just like you did Nicodemus, Jesus. Amen, amen. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And for many of us, we only hear Pharisee in uh, the pejorative, right? So a lot of us, if you've spent time in church, you realize Jesus was always kind of sparring with the Pharisees, and so we tend to think of Pharisee as just a bad word, like, oh, don't be a Pharisee, or she or he is such a Pharisee. The truth of the matter is Pharisees were really devout. They were uh, Jewish elites. They were very conscientious in their faith. They were uh, Jews who took their faith really seriously. They fasted, they, they prayed, they tithed, uh, they observed uh, th- with great devotion, actually, uh, Jewish law. They were, um, they were devout. Um, They were also cultural elites. And so Nicodemus represents like the insider of all insiders. And really and truly for most of my life in in teaching or looking at this text as a a person tasked with teaching, um, I thought of, of this text in terms of how um, Jesus and, and Nicodemus would have experienced it, which is that Nicodemus, though he's an insider to Judaism, is an outsider to Christianity. And that's true. That's, that's actually like the, the most basic way of understanding this text. He was an insider and then he realizes, but I don't have what I need with Jesus. But over the last year and a half, there's been a a new way for me to read this text. And I think this is true with the Bible and something we have to learn if we're going to take the Bible seriously. There are layers of understanding when you read the Bible. There are layers of application. So on one level, this is about um, Jews who think they're out insiders learning that they are outsiders regarding Jesus and they need something from Jesus. But there's also, I think for those of you who are Christian, because here's the challenge with that understanding, then this isn't really for you. Like if you're a Christian, if you're here, if you're asking Christian questions, you'd think, oh, well, this is like about outsiders and we're all insiders. But the thing that I think I'm learning about myself and what I've learned and maybe what I'm receiving in this text is that um, there are places in our lives where we've done all the things that we can do to try to live the good life. And there's still something lacking and then what, what do you do when you kind of come to the end of all your stuff, your work, your discipline, your effort, your church attendance, your praying, your reading, all the things we do to try to be good people or good Christians? Like what happens when that's not enough? And what happens there, I think, is like the very critical thing. So this is where I want to invite you to find yourself in Nicodemus, even if you're a Christian, even if you're a very devout Christian. Over the last year and a half, I have been confronted with what do I do when all the things that I know, all the things that I practice, all the things that I had incorporated into my life. Y'all, when I hit the wall and burned out, I was not robbing liquor stores and looking at pornography. Like I wasn't off the rails. I was praying. I was reading. I was doing my best to be good. I was giving my money to the church and to missionary causes, and I still ran out of gas and hit the wall. And when you get to the point where all the stuff you've been doing to try to make life work doesn't work, then you're in Nicodemus's place. And Jesus has something to say to us when we're in that place. So today, if it isn't working for you, you're in really good company. Because I just want to say, it's not supposed to work on your own strength. It's just not supposed to work that way. But as long as like the sun is shining and the wind is at your back, like you can believe the, the myth or the lie that like you got it. But I just want to tell you, ain't none of us. we don't have it. So Nicodemus, this, this Jewish cultural elite, this devout, rigorous spiritual person, comes to Jesus at night. And what he basically is asking is he's basically looking at Jesus and saying, is this it? Because if this is it, I don't think it's working. And so if you're saying somewhere in your heart, is this it? Because if this is it, I don't think it's working. You're in really, really, really good company. And one of the things that I notice in this text, and maybe you noticed it as well, is that throughout the text, Jesus is saying sort of weird things. And Nicodemus is going, huh? How can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Um, he asked some sort of, sort of stubborn or, or demonstrating his resistance over and over and over again. He, he kind of doesn't get it. And, and I so identify because there are so many times, especially when I feel like I'm out of gas, where I just sort of don't get it. It's like Jesus is saying stuff and I'm going, huh? So if you feel a little bit of that confusion or that exhaustion, uh, again, you're in really, really good company. Nicodemus is basically asking, I think, a fundamental question. And I actually think it's the fundamental question that every grown-up asks. Kids don't ask this question because they haven't, like, failed enough. Um, if you were uh, blessed to struggle mightily through your family of origin as a child, then maybe you began to ask this question earlier in life than kids who grew up in, like, a really, you know, insular or, like, a super safe space. Nicodemus is basically saying, I I I see something in you, Jesus, and I think um, I need something from outside myself because I do not have enough within myself to be okay. And I think that's actually one of the fundamental questions that humans ask. I think that at one point or another, all of us get to the place where we're just like, I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. And that's actually the space where God wants to actually begin to engage us. And that's what happens between Nicodemus and Jesus. So we're going to walk through the text and we're going to highlight some ideas and we're going to try to, we're going to try to see it or hear it from, from the perspective of Jesus and this friend who meets him in the dark of night. The first thing I want to highlight is Jesus says that we must be born of water and the spirit. He says, actually, these words, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. And you hear that. And it's like if you've spent time in church, like Jesus just says some weird stuff like water and the spirit. And then you, you spend enough time in the church without actually reading your Bible. And you just think, oh, that just sounds like a spiritual thing to say. But remember when AJ was here a couple of weeks ago, Nicodemus would he would have been able he would have memorized the entire Torah. He would have immersed himself in the prophets. And so when Jesus says, you cannot be born again, you cannot have a new start unless you've been born of water and spirit, Jesus knows that Nicodemus would know what he's referring to. He's referring to a passage of scripture in Isaiah 30, or in Ezekiel 36. And Jesus and Nicodemus would have been totally on the same page here. Jesus did not have to babysit uh, Nicodemus. He did not have to go remember in your Bible because Nicodemus actually knew his Bible. And this is where we're at a bit of a disadvantage because we hear these things and we don't know our Bibles. And so we don't know what Jesus is getting Nicodemus to to think about. He's actually jogging his memory. And this is what he's getting Nicodemus to see. And Nicodemus would have seen it immediately. The prophet says, using the voice of God in Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities And from all your idols, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus and Nicodemus would have been on the same page when he says, you must be born of water and spirit. He's he's reminding Nicodemus to get back into the prophets where the people of God were stuck. They were dirty. They were hard hearted. And God looked at them and said, I'm going to wash you and I'm going to soften your heart. And that's really good news because what that means is that when we find ourselves at our lowest, our worst place, God doesn't leave us there. He says, I have a remedy for you. I have something to say about that deep, dark place you find yourself in. And then he looks and says something about the wind. And this is where we get really like, okay, Jesus is talking about water and spirit. And now the next movement in the text, he's talking about the wind. And and you think like, what is he doing? Jesus is actually right tracking with him because the idea of spirit in the Old Testament, there's a word for that, um, ruach. And ruach was the word that the Jews would use in their language that would mean the Holy Spirit of God. And it would also mean weather patterns. It was the same word for the mundane and the sublime. And so when Jesus basically goes from water and spirit to the wind blows wherever it blows, so are those who are born of the spirit. He's using a pun, a play on words. He's saying that same thing that's the spirit of God is also the wind. And Jesus is also getting Nicodemus to think about the Bible. And he's really kind to Nicodemus because this time when it comes to wind, he wants him to think of Ezekiel 37. So he was in Ezekiel 36 and now he's in Ezekiel 37. Do any of us know what's in Ezekiel 37? Valley of dry bones. You know that story? The prophet is taken by the Lord into a field and in the field there are bleached bones. Skulls. Dead, dead people. And not just dead people, but people who have had their flesh eaten by the carrion, who have decomposed and all that's left are skeletons. And he says, do you see all of that that used to be alive and is now dead? And the Lord caused flesh to grow on the bones, and now they're just dead corpses. And then the ruach, the wind, the breath of God, the the work of the Holy Spirit breathes into that which was dead and gone and lost, that which was and is no more, and he brings them back to life. When Jesus speaks to Nicodemus who comes to him, right? Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night, late at night so that no one would see because Nicodemus recognizes all the work I'm doing, all of my practices, all of my efforts, all of the good things I'm doing to try to make my life work. There's something outside of me, right? He looks at Jesus and he's like, you're performing miracles like something is from God. You're, you're doing something that's bigger than just all the work I'm doing. Jesus begins to speak to him about a valley of dry bones. Y'all, you got to take my word for this. They would have been on the same page. The wind blows where it blows. Nicodemus's mind was already in the middle of Ezekiel. And then right there is chapter 36, chapter 37. He's basically like dead things with my life can come back to life. Lost things, things in you that once were and are no more. And so maybe some of us are coming into a space like this and it's like your hope was once and now it is no more your confidence in God and trusting in him. You used to be able to do it, but now you're not so sure. Maybe a relationship once was a a sense of you showing up in in open-handedness and trust, like you used to do that and now you don't. Like whatever it is that feels like we've lost, this is exactly where Jesus is trying to meet Nicodemus. And I would submit to you, this is exactly where he wants to meet us. If we don't look at the bones If we don't name the things that used to be and are no more, and y'all, this is the time to do that. This is the time for you to say, I have diminished. Something has been lost. I I am not where I want to be and who I want to be. If we don't name death, then resurrection can't happen. If we don't name the things that aren't like they ought to be, and Nicodemus's question is that fundamental question. Can I develop a new character late in life? Can I become a different kind of person? And to that question, Jesus begins to speak of the life of the Holy Spirit and the work of God that can move us from one state of being that is shadowy and diminished and less than God wants it to be to one that is more robust and more alive and more transformed. When I left here a year and change ago. I just wasn't sure if I could believe that. I I wasn't sure if God would be able to do a work of renewal inside of me. And again, I wasn't doing the like low-hanging fruit, bad behavior, sin, but I wasn't where I wanted to be and who I wanted to be. I wasn't able to pull it off. All my reading and all my praying and all my trying to be good, so much of that was just not getting the job done. And so I've been able to like sit with a story like this and say, I get why Nicodemus is asking question after question after question. I I feel the same. There was an extended period of time in my own life where I was just like, God, can you actually change me? And I stand before you today, not as a finished product. I think I'm more aware of my sin now than I ever have been at any other time in my life. And yet more aware of my belovedness right now than at any other time in my life. And that's so interesting that those things can come together. It's like the more I know that God doesn't love me because I have all my stuff together, the more I'm able to like open myself up to be loved by God, which ironically begins to change us and transform us. And I believe that I am leaning into and living into the truth of this passage in a a space of my life that I've never um, never done before, honestly. That you can actually change from the inside out late in life. You can actually become a more open and a more tender type of person. That is possible. If it's possible for me, I just want to say in Jesus' name, it's possible for you. This is what Jesus says to our brokenness. This is what Jesus says to our inadequacy. This is what Jesus says when it's just not getting, when the job is not getting done. He says, I have something for you. So, the third thing how how do we change? See, for Nicodemus, he was already into spiritual disciplines. Like this is, again, like I said, this is where we're behind them because we, we want to change and we're not even into spiritual disciplines. <laughs> like we don't pray and we don't read our Bible and we just kind of hope like it's going to happen like through osmosis. So Nicodemus, under, he at least understood, like I have these practices and Jesus didn't say like, throw your practices out the window. He just said, I want the fire of God to enter into your practice. The fire and the wind of the Holy Spirit will enter into the practice. Now, one of my favorite Christian thinkers right now is a Australian fellow named Mark Sayers. He has a podcast. He's a pastor in Australia. He has a podcast called the rebuilders, which I would commend to you. It's so good. It's nerdy. um, and but not too nerdy. Like they talk about silly things like scones and stuff like that too. But Sayers is, he's brilliant. He's probably one of the smartest people right now that are thinking about culture, kingdom, God, that kind of thing. And he said this, he said, What God is asking for from us is form and fire. So think about a fire in your home. If you build a fire without a fireplace, you burn your house down. If you have a fireplace and you never put a fire in it, it's just like a drafty, inefficient sort of energy sucking device. Fireplaces are the structure. So our our practices, our discipline, our coming to church They're a place where the life of the Spirit is meant to be curated so that the warmth and the radiating life of God flows out of that. God is asking for form and fire. I believe that one of the ways that we experience change is to look at our lives and say, God, where are you inviting me to have practices into which the life of the Spirit can come and do more than my practices will ever do? Form and fire. The Lord wants to take the dry wood of your life and ignite it you and me, we cannot bring the life of God, but we can create spaces where God would show up and do what only he can do. And that's what Nicodemus is basically saying is, would you do something in me that would bring your life to bear? And for me, for the longest time, that began to be my prayer. I Began to realize like, I can't work my way out of the mess that I feel like I'm in. I can't fix this in my own strength. And the Lord met me in that place and said, I will give you more than you could imagine if you would open yourself up to me. And that leads me to the last thing. We are all invited to experience renewal. So when Jesus talks about spirit and wind. He's speaking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Our first core commitment at this church is to experience the love of God and life in the Holy Spirit. Without the life of the Holy Spirit and the love of God, we will never be the people God wants us to be. The dry bones will never become animated. The places in you and in me that are lost or diminished will never come back to life. And yet Jesus says, I've come to bring life. I've come to do in you what you cannot do on your own. And for me, the fundamental project of the last year and a half was to get deeper into, do I really believe that that's what Jesus came to do? Do I really believe that he came to bring life? And I I stand before you as someone who is convinced that that's what Jesus does. And I'm experiencing that life in my own life right now in a way that is making me into a different kind of person, a more receptive person, And that is available to each and every one of us. That's what God wants to do. That's what he wants to do in you and in me. He wants to bring renewal. New life. So here's what I want us to hold. Where are the dry bones in your life? And what would it look like for life to enter into those dry places? Here's another thing I learned during the last year and a half, worrying about what's wrong in your life is not praying. And I know some of you are thinking, Oh, I don't pray as much as I thought I did. And I just want to say, you don't, you actually don't pray as much as you think you pray. So naming the broken places and then just fretting over those things, that's not the same thing as praying. So this is where I think that biblical imagery is really important. The way you turn your worrying into praying is by using biblical pictures. So the biblical picture is to to imagine the dead thing and then imagine the breath of God and the life of the spirit blowing on the dead thing and beginning to bring it back to life. That's then praying. That's how you take your fretting and you turn it into something that is prayer. And so for many of us, the the job, the work in front of us is to take the things we fret over and then to imagine the spirit breathing on that and bringing it back to life. And I want to challenge you to move beyond transactional stuff. So like, don't think, well, the dead, the dry bone is my my marriage or my job. Like, let's get deeper than that. Let's ask like, where, where is there something diminished in you that's causing you to show up in your marriage or at your job with less hope? That those are the dry bones. They get below kind of like the surfacey stuff. So I want us to spend a couple of moments in some silence and I want you to ask the question and take a picture of this. You're not gonna solve this in two minutes. Um, This may be what we carry into our week. Where are their dry bones? And what would it look like for the life of God to breathe on the dry bones? So a couple of minutes of silence and then we're going to come to communion. Let's be still just for a few moments.